is Analog Spectrum. In today's episode, why are Jolly Ranchers called Jolly Ranchers? There's nothing jolly about these hard-ass candies, and they don't know shit about ranching. All right, this is Analog Spectrum. This is Tony. I'm here with Doug. What's going on, you guys? Oh, so we're trying something new today. Uh, I don't know if I even, should I even say? I don't even know. Uh, uh, it's all right. I'm, I'm gonna say i'm fucking saying say bro it, say it say it we're actually uh recording uh online we're gonna use uh, uh some very high-tech uh uh teleconferencing software i think some of you may have heard of it it's called zoom is that zo om <laughs> yeah so the reason why is uh is uh you know we just want to try something different so but today uh we as you um i'm sure if you listen to the podcast on a regular basis you know we did the the uh, Coast Guard podcast not too long ago, and uh, I think I might even have mentioned this uh, at the time. I was I was like, "Yeah, Doug, let's do a Coast Guard podcast," and he says, "We're not going to be able to talk about the Coast Guard for an hour." And we just got out of boot camp. We got out of boot camp yeah. in the last podcast. So, yeah. so well, because like, Tony talks a lot, I basically sit here oh, and just listen. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so yeah, I, I'll boot give you equal camp. amounts. We equal amounts. So, yeah, fair enough. All right. Yeah, but uh, but picking up where we left off, if I remember correctly, when we last saw our, our uh, heroes, they had just gotten out of boot camp. Uh, and oh, uh, Jesus! Speaking of that, man, I, I I stumbled across a picture the other day of me in boot camp, and it's like, holy shit! Who is this toothpick man? Really? You know, I was, oh Jesus! I was a scrawny fuck. I, I probably weighed one hundred forty pounds, six two. You know? Did you use it? Or was it your? Uh, your like that uh, Bravo picture, yeah, the, the posed, yeah, the posed one, yeah, yeah. the drops. I freaking used mine as the uh, as the uh, uh, the picture for our first Coast Guard podcast. So, oh Jesus, send no, me I... yours, and I'll use it for no. the sale. <laughs> <laughs> this is me saying no. Okay, so no, you I go mean, ahead and uh... be vulnerable, Tony. I'm being protective because <laughs> I look like an idiot. Uh, whatever, nothing's yeah. really changed. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I like how you finished my thought for me. That's so nice. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'll send it to you. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah, I, it totally your call. I, I I wouldn't obligate you to, but uh, but yeah. one thing it does is it keeps you from having to to uh, find a, a thumbnail, you know. So yeah, yeah, more AI generated stuff. I like the AI generated stuff. We should talk about That's that. Cool, isn't it? I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So. Anyway, all right. So, what happened to you after boot camp? Did you do Ooh, your Did okay. you do your ten days of leave and stuff? Yeah, you know, you go home. You know, you think you're a badass. Not really, you know. But uh, but everybody's like, "Oh my god, you're here!" You know, you're like, "I know, cut it all off." Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I don't remember. I can't, I went home for Christmas, you know. And I think, you know, I, you know, it's funny when your when your son went through boot camp when uh, when Andrew went through boot camp, uh, and I saw him. It reminded me of my experience coming out of boot camp because you. Right. Feel changed, I guess, you know, but not, yeah. really, you know, so. Yeah. So for everyone, uh, my, my kid went to Air Force boot camp in San Antonio and um, I came down and stayed at Tony's for his graduation. And then we all went out to dinner and did some, I mean, we, we went go-kart racing or something, didn't we? We did some stuff like that. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. We did something. Yeah. So my mom joined us and um, so, yeah, we came to see Tony. So yeah, it was, it was the same for me. Like he um, was weird during his graduation and we had that active shooter thing. Uh, and some, some kid shot his drill sergeant and, you know, it's somewhere on the other side of base that we didn't know anything about it, but, um, my mom doesn't move very well. She, at the time she was uh, probably 80 or 81 and, um, 
I remember we were, I was sitting next to her and, and I heard, I don't know how I got the word before they actually announced it, uh, that there was an active shooter. And I told her, I said, okay, mom, if anybody starts stampeding down these damn bleachers to stay here. And I was thinking to myself, like, we'll, we'll bring up the rear, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that didn't happen. So that was all good. But yeah, the, his, his, the whole like parade and all that sort of shit was delayed for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I had to sit in the bleachers and wait until they cleared the active shooter thing. But yeah, some kid went crazy and yeah. busted into his drill sergeant's office and shot him and shot himself. And so yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I remember in boot camp, they were always worried about us, somebody committing suicide or whatever, but it was smooth as much as it could be, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a really cheerful podcast. Let's keep going. Know, right? Well, talking about <laughs> Andrew for a second, digressing into Andrew, which is uh, uh, Doug, as everybody knows, is Doug's son. It's it's cool because the very first time I I met Andrew, he was probably eight, you know, and he was in mm-hmm. he was in Great Britain. He was in the UK, and he had this, like, thick uh, child uh, British accent, you know? Sounded like Harry Potter? Yeah, yeah, a little bit like Harry Potter. And then... Uh, and then we came back, I, I, you know, you were living in San Francisco at the time. I saw him again. He was like about 14, I guess, at that time. And uh, and he still had the British accent. And then he went to boot camp. And he's, as I'm sure as everybody heard, he sounds, uh, doesn't sound British anymore. That accent's gone. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I can still hear a little bit of it, but it's not thick or anything like that. No. But uh, but anyway, this is not a podcast about Andrew. Sorry. No, no, it's not. Nice yeah, talking so, to you, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, so so yeah. So uh, but I want, but we kind of talked about last time, like like we you know got our post or our assignment. You know, my assignment mm-hmm. had been to Harriet Lane, so I went home. Don't remember much about it. It was just I went home. You know, and and everybody yeah. was like you know rubbing my bald ass head. You know, which is mm-hmm. you know my shaved head and uh, and uh, talking about how much I I had changed. Which let's be honest, I hadn't changed much. Other yeah. Than the fact, I, the, only, the only difference is you actually got up early. Yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> and so I so it was interesting that I got the Harriet Lane, and we had a sister company, and I think the there was a individual, who, and his name was was Wesley, and Wesley also got the Harriet Lane. We weren't in the same company. He was like in Lima, one three two, and I was in Kilo one three two. I think he may have been in India. I don't remember, and um, uh, and so he lived in in Georgia too, and uh, I. Uh, I said, well, shoot, dude, I'll, I'll pick you up on the way if you want. We'll just go up to the Harriet Lane together. And he was like, hell yeah. Just a really freaking cool guy, right? He was just very cool, very mm-hmm. fortunate. You know, of course, at the time, you know, like a lot of those things that would like like be a, a red flag or stuff like that. I didn't have that that that, that mm-hmm. kind of spidey sense yet in my life. You know, I was like, right. I would have picked up anybody anywhere and taken him anywhere, you know, yeah, exactly. with me. But but he was great. And so uh, so I picked him up. We drove up. Uh, I, 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 knowing this podcast was coming up. To me, it's interesting that we, you know, we were given responsibility. Like you have to show, here's your orders, show up on this date at this time or else. And and we did mm-hmm. it. I mean, that's a little bit shocking to me now because mm, exactly. I, I think about the way you, uh, people are now, kids are now. And uh, I don't think, you know, I, and I wasn't a responsible person. You know, I wasn't a responsible. Yeah. yeah so, and I showed up. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, long time. Yeah. I got there and everything, you know. And uh, and when I got there, uh, we uh, uh, the Harry Lane was underway, and uh, and so we uh, we we they parked us in the barracks and gave us a room. You know, next thing you know, I'm kind of you know, and I was like 20 or 21 when I joined, so I I'd already been on my own a little bit, so I wasn't like in that. You know, oh my gosh, I'm homesick. I'm shocked. I just was kind of like in a new place and just kind of living my life. Um, right. And uh, and but I just remember like. Like the on on one of the first uh, first days we were there, they sent us over to the first lieutenant shop, 
and uh and they're like uh you know where are you guys going and we're like oh we're going to Harriet Lane's underway and so the boats are made the BM2 and you and this is something you had mentioned before he's like a BM2 or BM1 but he had like 48 years in you know what I mean he was yes, like exactly. he, he wasn't he wasn't burning it up right Trusty, yeah. And, yeah and you know on his way to retire you know, he'd probably been at that first lieutenant shack for 28 years. He's just happy mm -hmm. and uh, just fat, dumb and happy. And he's like, oh, go uh, go over to uh, uh, the uh, – the, there was a club on base called Portside and uh, rake the gutters in front of Portside. So he went over there with a couple of rakes and me and Wesley are like raking the like the few leaves out of the gutters. And I remember Wesley mm -hmm. going uh, – he starts like in his head writing a letter to his dad. He's like, dear dad, you know, first mm -hmm. day in the Coast Guard is great. I've already made two drug busts. <laughs> uh, and of course, honest to God, it didn't get much more challenging than that for the first few years I was in, you know, so. The only thing I found challenging was that I think that just I've always as, as a just I've always been the type of person where I'm, I'm trusting, you know, and I trust people. Yeah. Give them the benefit of the doubt and whatever. So I had people messing with me and I, I didn't see it coming, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause I just don't, that's just not on in my radar. Well, it is now, but, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I showed up, I walked into it. So, well, first of all, I went home, uh, I think they give you like 10 days or something. And I went home to West Palm and, um, I was home for a few days and, uh, the phone rang and my dad answered and, and he said, yeah, he's right here. And I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I had a couple friends, but I didn't have like this torrent of people around me, you know, I wasn't a celebrity or anything. Anyway. So, uh, somebody had called from me. What the hell? So I answered and it was some yeoman from Key West and my, uh, duty station was Isla Mirada, which is a third of the way down the Florida Keys. And, uh, this, this yeoman from Key West called and says, Hey, look, we're changing your orders. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I thought I was slick getting my, getting my Isla Mirada pick because nobody knew what it was. She said, yeah, we're changing the orders to group Key West. And uh, I'm like, oh crap. So um, I finished out my 10 days, whatever, same with you. I mean, you know, I saw some old friends and whatever, and just, it was kind of antsy to get started. So I go down there and uh, I check in and literally I checked in minutes before the dude behind me. And uh, I ended up getting the H the navigation team and that dude ended up getting like, a, I don't know, the U to the pan, one of those. 205 yeah. rust bucket things, you know? And so uh, I walk over and, 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 you know, they said, Oh, here you go. Go to the ant team. So I walk over and, and, you know, knock on the door and I'm all boot campy and stuff, standing at attention, ready for, <laughs> and the chief that ran the H navigation team was sleeping on the sofa. Mm. He was literally sleeping. Uh, and then there was a first class who was sitting at a desk uh, and his feet was up on the desk and he was whittling. He had a knife out and he was whittling like the end of a broom handle, you know, one of those ball in a cage type things or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a couple of the guys were out in the shop working and it was just basically like a, I don't know, a 40 by 40 shop with a bunch of, uh, boards stacked up and H the navigation lights sitting around. It was, it was clean. It was organized. You know, it was my first impression. So I walk in and I introduce myself to the first class. Yeah, hey, dude, great dude. I can't even remember his name, but I really liked that guy. He was a good guy. And uh, he said, hey, come on in, sit down. And he woke the chief up. <laughs> the chief was out. Apparently, there was a dog track up in Boca Chica. Yeah, the well, chief had quite a, yeah, they did dog racing, you know. And he apparently had a quite a uh, quite a gambling streak. So he was up there the night before and uh, he was, was sleeping off his hangover or whatever. I mean, I didn't, shit, I had no clue what to expect but I wasn't expecting that. 
Uh, so anyway, yeah, so he introduces me and all that stuff. And there's a couple of, we, I think we had like a, we had MK1 and MK3 and a, and a BM1 and a BM3 and then me, that's the non-rate. And uh, those guys couldn't say my last name. Like I was telling them a couple of times, that's, that's, you know? so they ended up calling me Dexter because they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, I don't know whether they were idiots or whatever. My name's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I picked up that nickname like day one. And so I was Dexter for the whole time I was there from then on. But no, it was uh, it was a cool duty station. Though, I will say the first time around um, that was nineteen eighty late eighty three at that time. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. Like one, you mentioned uh, going to Alamada. Uh, for those that that don't know, which is probably most people, Alamada had a lot of issues uh, because they they were uh, involved in kind of a uh, what do you say controversy where they were actually assisting the people bringing. Uh, marijuana. I think it was Alamorado or it was a marathon. Yeah, it was Alamorado. What they were doing, I think, is they were doing drug busts off the coast. Yeah, and then they were they were taking the drugs uh, and then and then reselling the drugs. Whatever. So it was a big sting operation and all that stuff. And apparently, it was it was pretty. I mean, you know, in the eighties when, when things were getting kind of hectic, and um, uh, they, you know, if a new guy showed up, they would take him out and stick a gun to his head and say, "Listen, you know, you're on board with us or you're not." Right. And so, of course, the new guy's like, oh, hell yeah, I'm on board, you know. Uh, right. So I'm glad I never, I was lucky, man. I dodged that. And I didn't get to, yeah, didn't have to go through that stuff, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. And, and, uh, and I get, I think the reason they, you know, is that it's the, it's the oldest story in the world that the reason they, they were found out is, you know, there were people down there, there were, you know, E2s, E3s that were driving around like in Corvettes or, or, yeah. you know, super nice. I would have been that stupid. I really would have. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it's like, okay, be cool. Yeah, don't, don't, don't spend all your money. Your don't money. get flashy cars. Yeah, they freaking did. But, uh, and the other thing is you mentioned the whole like showing up. Yeah. You know, when you're in boot camp and they, they, you know, they're like, you're in the military, you're in the military, you're in the military. And you show up at your first, uh, duty station. You're like, this is just another job. It's just a job. And you also mentioned like, uh, people messing with you. It's like you get messed with and then, uh, and then you mess with people. And and it's funny because, like I said, like I, I think back to like high school, like the people in high school, they were mean. You know what I mean? They were, when they were mm-hmm. when they were bullies, they were mean. And the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. when you when people mess with you, it, it kind of was like in good fun. They knew that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most of it. it. Yeah. Again? Most of it. Yeah. Most yeah. of it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but there was a lot of hazing, but the hazing was just, you know, that's just the way it was. Well, anyway, so, you know, the ship finally shows up and I was fortunate in that uh, I showed up with like me and five other guys, right? And so, so that's who, oh, so you who ended up on the boat. Deflect so, some of that new guyness, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was the, again, it was the gazelle uh, concept. I yes. mean, there wasn't <laughs> enough to go around. It, it, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned the whole uh, uh, boot camp thing. I remember like, uh, like this haze, the one hazing thing. And it, this didn't happen to me, but we had this, uh, we had this uh, JG or ensign, and actually, I think he's he's since passed away. Uh, uh, if he's listening, I, then he hasn't, uh, his name was Willis and, uh, he was just a really cool guy. He was a, he was a, uh, Mustang and, uh, he, uh, what we did this thing where we got a bunch of uh, boot campers on board. I'd been there like about six, eight months and, uh, and they, uh, they were standing in the, in the birthing area and, and we're just kind of playing it up normal, right? They're asking like, well, what's it like being mm-hmm. on a ship? You know, uh, what's, you know, we're like, oh, that's what we do, getting underway, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you have to stay in duty, you know, but usually one and four or something like that underway. It's, you might, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and we'd set this all up. And then uh, Willis 
the JG comes in and he's got like his, you know, he's wearing his, his trops, chopping like a short sleeve shirt. And he's got the, he's got the, the, the white cap on and he's wearing like mm-hmm. weird sunglasses and he's got his, his gloves on, you know? And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, this, you know, this burden there, he looks like shit. And he starts fucking going bouquet. He's going like drill sergeant. Oh, shit. <laughs> he's like, uh, you know, I want this floor waxed. Everybody get down, get down. And he starts cranking us, right? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> just to just to mess with these new these new guys from boot camp, man. Yeah, flashback, right? <laughs> PTSD. Well, I had that. What these guys did to me. So at some point, when I first got there, we had a twenty foot boat and a seventeen foot boat, and the seventeen footer was outboard, uh, and the twenty footer was inboard outboard. And uh, what we did with those is we went around locally and uh, repaired any of the the dayboards or the lights. So if you can imagine. Uh, I don't know what they're called, but every city has some kind of a crew. Uh, there's a traffic accident and somebody knocks over a light pole or mm-hmm. a stop sign. Somebody's got to go back and replace that stuff, right? This is the same thing, um, but it was on the water. So we did the day boards and the, the buoy lights and stuff like that. And we didn't have any equipment to like fix the buoys. Um, so what we would do is we would go to a buoy or we would go to a light. And if the light was burned out, of course, somebody, uh, a mariner would report that to the Coast Guard. And we would get the... The message the next day and then off we go and we go out and fix it and all we would do to fix it is take a couple of car batteries and um put them on top of the buoy um, we tied them down and stuff and then just we called it hot packing he just made the thing run for a couple more days so people could navigate until a buoy tender could get there and legitimately fix the thing you know mm-hmm. and so that's what we would do we take the 17 foot boat or that 20 foot boat and we'd zoom around the florida keys and, and you know just putting up fresh day boards or fixing stuff or whatever. And once in a while, if we had one that was far away, like marathon, that was like 50 miles. Um, so we would trailerize the boat and, and drive it up there and, uh, and launch the boat and then go fix stuff there, which I thought that was the coolest. Like, I don't know if I said this in my first, the first episode of this, but I thought I was joining like the Florida Marine Patrol, you know, mm-hmm. when I, I didn't know what the Coast Guard was. Um, and so when we started doing that, I'm like, this is cool, man. Cause I, you right. know, I, I enjoyed small boats near shore. I didn't like going out. See. Right. Um, and one thing about both the age navigation station and, and so forth, they, they get good equipment. I mean, the, yeah, the, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the trucks that they trailer with are, are nice. The, yeah. Uh, F-250s and stuff like that. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't chintzy at all. No. And, and the, uh, and the boats, I remember, uh, yeah, they had a Boston Whaler. I remember when I was in Key West, the station had a Boston Whaler and the age navigation had a Boston Whaler. And those guys were like in a competition to see, you know, who could make that boat, you know, the most badass freaking boat. It's all decked out. Spending, all spending decked taxpayer out. dollars. Yeah, absolutely, man. Fast, fast as hell. And, yeah. Scary fast. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had fun with all that. But then at some point, uh, our chief finagled a, uh, a it's called a mini buoy tender. I think this thing was like 65 feet long and it had a flat deck on the back with a winch on either side. And there was a big V cut into the back. And the idea was you back up to a buoy and you hook those two winches to the, there's a big pad eye uh, on both sides of the buoys. You hook that thing and then you can suck the winches in and then the buoy will literally come and sit right there at the back of the boat. And you could stand on that flat deck and work on the lights and stuff. So because it's kind of dangerous on those buoys when you're sitting up, you're bobbing around. I can't, I could not tell you how many tools we lost. Cause you carry your tool bag up and you're sitting on the buoy and you're floating, <laughs> you're floating around and any sort of wake or anything from a passing boat, man, you're bobbing all over the place and mm-hmm. tools can slip left and right. You know, of course 
we were idiots because we didn't tie them off. And we lost a zillion tools doing that. But anyway, yeah, so when we got the 65-footer, we, uh, the guys, we brought it back to Key West. And that's when I saw my first dead guy, by the way, too. We picked up a floater on the way home and uh, that grossed the shit out of me, man. That was, that was nasty. Again, I was like, eight, yeah, I just turned 18. So I was, I was young. And uh, anyway, so they got him in a Stokes litter and pulled him out of the water and he was on the back of the deck. And I'm like, okay, I'll drive. I didn't even want to look at that dude, man. He was all gray, you know, it's like a pale gray, blue color. And, uh, so when we, when we got back to the, to the pier, they had called the coroner and, um, you know, a couple guys carried him over the brow and they set him down on the pier and, uh, in the Stokes letter when the coroner came and, uh, the coroner just, well, he just took like a meat thermometer and stuck it in his chest, uh, just, you know, just to get his internal body temp. I'm like, holy crap. And seawater and icky shit was gooping out of him. I was that was nasty, man. I was not ready for that. And some of these stories, I apologize in advance, but this mm-hmm. is the way life is. When when I was down there, one, one time we went to a marathon, me and uh, me and the other corpsman to do training, uh, whatever, CPR, whatever, you know, and uh, we got there, the uh, this most everybody in the station was out and they're like, well, they, where are they? And they're like, they, they had to pick up a, uh, pick up a, a, a dead body. Right. And, uh, and so as the boat, the boat comes into the station, uh, or into the, yeah, pulling into the, the cut, right? Uh, the canal, uh, you know, there was a seawall right there, a concrete seawall, and the, the body was in a, uh, mm-hmm. a body bag, right? And they put the body bag on that seawall. And of course, you know, it did, it kind of fell over a little bit. It was kind of half on and half off, and the zipper had opened up a little bit. And, uh, and whatever was just like leaking out mm-hmm. onto the concrete on the, the other side of the seawall, and of course, you know, here comes the station <laughs> dog. Right? It's like, <laughs> you know, he starts starts lapping that stuff up, man. And of course, every station dog. What's every station dog's name? They always made it, and they hear him go like, "Mayday, mayday, stop it!" You know, <laughs> don't yeah, oh, funny. I remember like. Like retching, I was just like, "Oh my god, it's like that dog." Yeah, it was pretty gross. I know we picked that floater dude up because uh, his his skin he had been floating for a while, yeah, and his skin was kind of going through the wire mesh on the yes. on the uh, Stokes letter when they you know picked him. I was like, "Yeah, it creeps, man." It was not you nice. gotta you gotta be careful because because if anybody doesn't know what a Stokes is, it's got kind of this chicken wire mesh in it that that you know, and it's usually used for airlifting or pulling people. You know, but not it's not meant for. Or cadavers dead bodies right but anyway so yeah so the rest of that story people messing with me is um when we finally got when we finally got that boat back uh, that hatch that's the, the the deck that was on top that was flat um, it had two hatches and it opened up and you, you could work on the engines or you know you I mean you could replace the engines or whatever crane them in and out right but uh so we had the you had the uh, engineers uh, were down there overhauling that engine one day and uh gosh man i wasn't I don't think I was in the Coast Guard four or five months by this time. And um, so they said, hey, Dexter, go over here. And they, and they, were, they were all greasy and they were in their T-shirts and stuff, the tools everywhere. And they're like, hey, man, I need you to go to the supply cage for me and get me a part. And I'm like, okay, sweet, dude, I'll do that. Because I'm going to take a break from painting and scraping. Yeah, I'll do that in Arby. And he says, um, he says, yeah, um, go over there and, and uh, tell SK1 over there, Jones or whatever his name was, tell him I need a smoking lamp. And I'm a uh, filament for the smoking lamp. I'm like, okay, sure, filament, smoking lamp, got it. You know, and off I walk. 
all the way across the base, find the SK's office. I had never been over there before. I asked a couple of people, you know, did I show up? SK one is over there. And I'm like, Oh yeah. So so and so sent me over here, you know, for the filament, for the smoke and that. And he looks at me, he didn't even miss a beat, you know, didn't even blink an eye. And he's like, yeah, what size? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. They didn't say, I, they just said Philly. No, man, I got to know. There's all kinds of sizes. Oh uh-huh, shit. And I walk all the way back over to the boat. This was like a quarter mile walk all the way across the base, you know, you know, all the way back over there. And uh, there they were. And he says, Hey, you get that thing? And I said, No, nah, man, you want, you need to know what size. Oh, shit. Tell him it's a number eight. And I'm, okay. So I walk all the way back over. And he's like, Number, there is no number eight. They go by, they go by quarter inch or eighth inch or whatever, all the way back over. <laughs> I was getting frustrated by this. Point. And those guys, of course, are cracking up, and I'm like, oh, shit, man. So I, found, I don't know who finally gave it away, but, uh, yeah, this kind of stuff they well, did. And, and for those listening, they're, the smoke, their smoking lamp's not a thing. That's what they yeah. they, they light up when they're when you're allowed to smoke in the boat. The smoking lamp is lit, you know, so. But yeah, like shoreline, you know, they should yeah, be for shoreline. Kind of calibrate the radar. They have all these things. Oh, yeah. Did you guys do that? Did you calibrate the radar? We, 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 again, six people, right? So, yeah, yeah. so I, I somehow managed to work around it, but I, I remember like one time I, uh, I, I, I was making rounds or something during a quarter deck watch and I go up to the, uh, to the bridge and there's, uh, there's like three or four, uh, of guys on deck force and they got this, um, mic out and the mic was the speakers for the that went around the bridge and they're going like uh a little left a little left and uh and they let go and they just start cracking up and I look out the window and sure as hell there was a guy out there with uh with flashlights and they got him dancing out on the fossil you know uh, so so what what would happen is they would they would take new guys and say hey listen uh you know they would they, they, usually what they would do is say hey you know the new guy i was just the the, the crappy job right well this is your turn. Here's your crappy job. Calibrate the radar. And you're, you know, as a new guy, you're like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, you know, like the radar, dude, like we need to calibrate it. So what we do is um, we have to get some reflective material and uh, we, we put a couple of you guys up here and then we can gauge how far away you are. And, you know, whether it goes a big, long explanation, basically all they do is they wrap your head and your arms in tinfoil and they, they put you up on the, on the front of the ship and then they call th- over that, uh, that PA system and tell you to dance around and move around here, move around there. Of course, there's 50 guys up on the bridge laughing at you the whole time. And you're like, Oh, one foot, dude, one foot. Yeah. Stick your <laughs> left arm out and all that shit. You know, oh, God. oh my God. Half the time, if you're underway, you're seasick anyway. And don't feel good. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah. So, you know, I, but so I, I showed up, I showed up for the, the ship. And like I said, one, you know, one of six, I mean, I, I was, I, you know, my experience was different than yours because I was underway right out of boot camp, And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the ship had, the ship had, uh, you know, pulled in. We met the ship, uh, the, and it was the Harry Lane, which is a two seventy, and it had like a six week, six weeks out, six weeks in kind mm. of rotation. And things I'm sure are different now. Like for example, back then, I, and and when you come out of boot camp, for anybody that's curious, <laughs> is that now there's potentially you don't go directly to school. Not not usually. Usually you yes. they, they, you become what's called a non rate, and you go out there and you do the most. Uh, the most grunt work that the Coast Guard yep. can You clean, you paint, you, you peel paint, potatoes, you clean, whatever. Yeah. If you, if and so if you're if you're a seaman, then you you uh, and I understand it's a terrible name. Uh, you you're part of usually part of deck force and uh, and you do things like what Doug would just said: paint, clean, rake. What depends on where you're at. If you're a fireman, hmm. you're usually part of engineering, which means you're 
you know, you're doing things like changing oil, blah, blah, blah. And now yeah. they have airmen where you, where you can actually go to uh, air, air stations. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure they limit that because mm-hmm. everybody would want to be an airman if, uh, right. if they let everybody be an airman. But, uh, so, but I, I was an on-rate seaman on a, on a, on a ship. Uh, so I was, we did things like paint, chip paint and, and then, uh, then paint again and then chip the paint. We just painted and we waxed mm-hmm. the decks. Like Doug mentioned during the boot camp one, that still goes on during, a mm-hmm. during, a uh, uh, once you're on your first ship, you wax all decks. Uh, another thing you do is you mess cook. I mess cook twice when I was underway. And mess cooking usually it's like a one month gig where you. Uh, I was I was a scullery bitch where I you know wash dishes. Could have been worse. Could have been better. You know, cheese mess is what everybody wants to do. And and then you could be a wardroom uh, mess cook where you take care of the officers or uh, the mess deck. You know. And so I was scullery. Whatever. I mean, uh, that's where I got pranked a lot in the scullery. Uh, but. Uh, one of my one of my favorite stories I want to make sure I tell is that well, again me and Wesley were kind of you know parallel. And so he must kick the same time I did, and I remember uh, like we were underway. And by the way, if you're wondering, hey, how rough does it get? It gets freaking really rough. It okay? gets rough. Yeah. It gets very very rough. I mean, like it is you you a small boat. You know, if there's like a hurricane or rough seas, you don't turn. You just go. You, they figure out a way to go through it, and with the least amount of. You know, hell for the crew, but it's not. It's usually a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I still remember like like when you get underway, they're all, they're always making announcements. They're called pipes, where they're like, hey, you know, um, you know, one of the ones they would they would say if the seas got real heavy is uh, the weather decks are secured. Nobody's outside of the ship. You're not you can't you can't you have to yeah, stay fall over. Yeah, if you'll fall over and die, and and if you end up in the water at all, unless it, unless they actually witness you falling over. You're gone. You're dead. Your chances are not good. Yeah. Zero. Like like that, that one guy recently that got found. I was telling Melanie, that's that that, that reinforces my belief in a, a higher power because that right. guy should be dead as shit. As miracle territory. Yeah. It, it is miracles. Yeah. And so uh, so but but of course you know I'm 22 years old and I'm thinking why don't they, why don't why do they not want you to go uh, outside and and the seas were like 30 to 40 foot seas. And of course, if you're on watch on the bridge, you see them, but you're, you're 40 feet up and, and they don't have the, the there, there isn't the shock. So I remember like going out on the fantail, which is at water level, pretty close and opening up a hatch and looking outside and seeing like a 40 foot wave. Yes. It's, you're looking up at the top of the wave. It's shocking. how It does. Big it scares it, the crap it out of you. It is insane. I mean, yeah. I, it, it'll 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 definitely uh like nowadays i'll be around like a 22 year old and they're like well i have anxiety and you're like about what it's like oh you know i'm afraid of like uh dark spaces i'm thinking you're a wuss okay yeah because yeah. because there are things out there a lot worse yes. than dark spaces There's bigger dragons probably, out there yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're dragons so anyway uh but i remember like one time uh when we were mess cooking uh Wes, wesley was on <laughs> this makes me laugh thinking about it he's on the mess deck and he's got the floor buffer and uh, I remember, like, he's buffing the floors and the seas are real heavy. And all of a sudden, like, we take a heavy roll and that thing starts, like, spinning like a top. But it didn't <laughs> let go of it. So <laughs> he's, like, dragging his ass around. Those things are powerful, too, man. Yeah, it's like flinging him around. And finally, it, it throws him against a wall. And he's, uh, you know, he's laying there and the buffer's on his side. And he stands up. And the funny part was he just starts, like, kicking the shit <laughs> he starts kicking it and kicking it. And he's, you know, and just this string of profanity. Uh, I just remember thinking, God, that's funny. But yeah, you know, uh, being underway there, you know, you're, you get very dialed into uh, the sound of the ship. And I remember 
that like the very first time I got underway, like laying in my rack and, and the rack is your, your bed. And, and it's, it's honestly like maybe 18 to 24 inches to the space above you. So you're laying in this very tight space. They call them coffin racks. Yeah. Call it like coffin racks. And, and, and uh, 21 people in a birthing area, probably most people listening to it, 21 people in a birthing area, probably the size of your bedroom. Like that's how big it was. Right. And, uh, and maybe smaller, probably smaller. And, and, uh, the lights are out or the reds are on and the seas are heavy and I'm laying there and I just think to myself, you know, how did I get here? This is crazy. Yep. How did I end up in this place? And I probably was someplace like off the coast of Cuba and it really is very sobering. And, uh, and then, uh, it, like you, you would be underway. And, and once the engine started up, your body got very used to the sound of the engines, the feel of the engines. And if the mm -hmm. engines ever shut off when you were underway, like you're, you mm -hmm. know, you were immediately awake. You knew. Yeah. Yeah, you knew bad stuff was about to happen. Engines don't shut off. The engines don't yeah. shut off. If the engines shut off, something bad just happened. And, yeah, and you would just ready. wait. Yeah, you would wait. You just wait for the for GQ or GE or whatever now uh, to start uh, sounding, you know, bang, bang, bang. And almost invariably, it was a main space oil leak or a main space fire. And, right. uh, and I was fortunate because my, uh, like I think I've told you this before, my my uh, assignment for, well, we didn't have general emergency at the time. We said general quarters. And general quarters underway was the same. Uh, for emergency as it was for like wartime steaming and my and I got and again like you were talking about you ended up at the AIDS navigation like I got on there and they just were like stacking and racking and like Wesley got number two nozzleman and I got 50 cal uh, machine gun loader oh sweet <laughs> you lucked out I lucked out and I got to fire that thing and all that kind of stuff yeah that was awesome yeah yeah I actually love the damage control side of the Coast Guard and for anybody who, who is curious basically the the way they organize the, the 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 response to emergency situations is the ship is if you ever watch the Titanic and they explain how the ship is broken into like segments and you can close the hatches and make it watertight. Well, <clears throat> they learned their lesson, obviously, on the, the Titanic that those walls need to go all the way to the top. So that's what they do with military ships. And um, and they're basically there's different conditions. So if you set, for example, condition zebra, that meant like all of the watertight doors were closed. You could not leave them open. If you traversed through one, you had to close it behind you and so on. Um, William, all of the air ducts were all closed. And that was in case of like a biological attack or something. Anyway, they had all these different uh, modes of readiness, I guess you could call it. And um so when there was a general emergency, it could have been a fire, it could have been flooding, could have been another, you know, an attack from a, a, a hostile or whatever. You go to general quarters and then you start figuring out how to respond, right? But you get everybody at their station and then you got guys all over the ship. Some some are on firefighting details, some are on pipe patching or plugging and some are plotting to, you know, listening to try to figure out where the damage is and the engineers are trying to figure out the best way to keep the ship afloat and all that. So it's a really, really complex uh, structure and organization of, of how it's all organized. But, um, I loved that stuff, man. I just loved it. And I worked my way from the bottom, bottom, bottom. I was a pipe patching guy when I first started and that was unadventurous. And, um, and I, I got that down quick and then I went into the plugging team and I never did. I, I, I practiced on the fire stuff, but they never put me on nozzleman or whatever. But I, I do think I was just too scrawny for that. You got it. Those hoses are they had a lot of pressure, man. You have to be, you have to be stout to, to, to handle those things. But, but anyways, so I ended up eventually in the damage control center, which is where all the information came into. And then the main engineer on the ship would, would send out orders. 
And it was like, yeah, I swear to God, you know, Tony, it was like a foreign language. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I was really, really good at that. Um, and that's why it, even as a as an E2, they put me in there because um, I was very good at that. And, um, but I couldn't tell you now, like I had that stuff memorized. I could tell you exactly how the, every compartment was numbered. Every pipe was numbered. I had all that stuff memorized and I was, I was quick. Um, but nowadays I think back and I'm like, oh shit, man, that's, I can't even remember like how they, how they do the compartments, you know? Oh yeah, exactly. You know, and the, yeah, everything was numbered so you could easily find it on a ship. But I always thought it, thought it was interesting that uh, you could have these damage control men and they were kind of idiots, but damn, they knew, they knew their job. Like if that ship was sinking or there was an issue, they knew exactly what to do, exactly what to do. Yeah. It's very impressive. They were, some of those guys were we're mouth breathers for sure. <laughs> you know, cavemen kind of do. But, uh, but that was fun anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 uh, yeah, just real quick, I'm finishing up with the Harriet Lane. Cause actually what I want to do is I want to, we have a little way, ways to get, you have a little bit more time because somehow we need to like bring our careers together and you've been in longer than me. So, so I'm going to get up to, I'm going to get up to my A school and stop. But yeah. So, you know, I did, I did a few patrols, uh, you know, and that and that was fine. Uh, you know, and you guys uh, were based out of what South Carolina or something? No, we we were out of uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. Virginia, okay. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I remember, like like I said before, we painted a lot. A lot of stuff now we did we did they don't do anymore. Like we were actually responsible. Like we would get, go out there on a paint float. You were talking about dropping stuff in the water. We were always dropping like like air tools and buckets and 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 we polluted pollute. more than any of the mariners did. Oh God, you know, and and I I remember also like. Like uh, again, respond. We, we, we have a responsible party. We should. There's things we just shouldn't been allowed to do. And uh, and uh, and they would say, "Oh, go go grab the paint float on so and so pier, drag it around." And and we would put two people on the paint float. We'd start kind of walking around. And the next thing you know, it would break loose. And and uh, you know, the paint float would float out into the Chesapeake Bay with two people on it. You know, and paint float <laughs> has a scaffolding on it to reach the top of the like three or four decks up. So it's got like a twenty or thirty foot scaffolding on it and the paint float itself is maybe like 20 by 30 or something like that and the thing would break loose and float out and and, and again they don't i don't think anybody when the ship has to be painted they take it into the yard now so you know they're not, but, but we were sanding shooting crap on in the water and a lot of the, a lot of the primers we used were toxic as hell they even called it like red they death called it green, green death or red death, death. red death yeah and oh, there's a good one i was painting i think it was green death i was painting and this is what i was painting that 65 footer and uh, I was done for the day. I wanted to go home. And so um, I, I held up my paintbrush and told the, the bosun mate, he was a third class. I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I'm all finished. You know what I would do with this brush? He was like, I just threw it on the side. <laughs> I just threw it on the side. <laughs> he was probably joking, but I did it. But yeah, I, like, yeah. I don't know. Sure. Oh, it, and I remember like, like we'd be out there like with a with an air tool with a wire wheel and be like, man, all of a sudden it would drop and, and you, know, you know, and it would go into the water. And, uh, it only happened once, but but I know it went in, and of course it was still spinning, and then the often it just breaks loose, and when they pull it back up, it's gone. You know, I mean, God knows how expensive that thing was, and it was history. Well, not only that, but I mean, you think about we literally there was no protective. I mean, we wore some protective yeah. stuff, but for the most part, when you were grinding off old paint, it went straight into the water. We didn't we didn't get from going in the water. Yeah, all that that lead paint and all that shit. Yeah, lead. Yeah. It was. And we also uh, we also mentioned uh, like like I, I'd wear like a mask, but it, I think sometimes we wore like respirators. But yeah, but, most uh, of the time it was a t-shirt. Yeah, tied, yeah, something like that. And uh, you know, but uh, but yeah, there's probably other things that happened while I was underway. I mean, I just remember 
waiting to get orders to a school to, become, to go become a corpsman. There, we had all kinds of, there was all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, that, that happened while I was underway. Uh, we went to, we went through rough tray, which, uh, which was the fresher training. We that was great. Bay. I loved that. Yeah. Oh, that was a, you know, everybody hated it. I was weird. I liked it. I really did. I, I enjoyed oh, it. I think, honestly, I think if we would have done it in San Diego, it would have been fine. You know what I mean? But yes, maybe that's but, why. <laughs> yeah. But Cuba is a, is a military base with nothing to do, you know? And, mm. and, uh, yeah, you know, in a way it was, it was, it, there was a, the comparison I can make to boot camp is you're always kind of waiting for something bad to happen, but nothing bad ever happened. And, and there was a lot of cool stuff that happened. Like, like, again, I stood watch, you know, so I, I stood, did look out and, uh, and, uh, and I was, a uh, uh, whatever called the, uh, uh, helmsman. Right. And, uh, and so I, I hated that. I hated it because, because, you know, you would end up getting a watch where you'd, it'd be like two o'clock in the morning and you're up on the bridge. I, I know like when I was on, underway on an icebreaker, you know, those guys didn't have a lookout, but they weren't, they weren't, they, they were not doing anything. Cause, because again, you're trying, you know, on the, the icebreaker, for example, you're going from Hawaii to Australia, you're not in the shipping lanes. And even if you were, you're not boarding anybody. It's an icebreaker. Right. Just get there. The job of lookout is to make sure you didn't hit an island, right? But on a white hole, you know, where we did, did a bunch of a, a law enforcement, uh, you know, we were constantly looking for people to board. And that's what we did. We boarded. You were on the ventures. You board, you board, you board, you board. That's what you do. So once you get into the, and, and the captain, honest to gosh, I think sometimes we could we could have exited the, Ch the Chesapeake Bay. And the first freaking sailboat we saw, man, we were on that thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, and, yeah. It was, and, and, you know, it was all about numbers. That, that's one thing that used to piss me off because we get underway. And there's a routine. Like, this is one of the things. I, let me let me interrupt you for a second because yeah. I want to jump in on a couple things that you said. Right. Um, being on a ship uh, underway is, is there's there's a routine. You develop this, this routine. Like, life is very, very repetitive. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, at first, it's sort of tedious, but you get you get used to it. And like Tony was saying, the sound of the engines, um, the sound of the hatches opening and closing. In your mm -hmm. first couple of nights on the ship, when somebody comes into the birthing area and they open that big steel door and then they close it again and and shut down the that that big lever, you know, like you see on the movies, um, it, you can't sleep because it's all these weird, crazy sounds. And after a while, you get so used to it. Then you can tell like even your subconscious you can tell when things aren't right you can you can feel when the ship's not moving properly or when the engines don't sound right or whatever and it wakes you up so um that um realization that you had when you said like man how did i end up here i think that's a thing that it, that helps people that go through it it helps you grow like as mm -hmm. a as an actual person because you know, there's no real consequence when, when, and I'm talking about our youth. I, I won't even comment on today's youth because it makes me ill. But um, yeah, on our youth, there was no real consequence to anything we did. You know what I mean? Like me, we did some stuff and, you know, the worst thing you do is you get yelled at or something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, you, you face this realization at 18 or 19 or 20 years old that, hey man, I'm part of something bigger now that has the potential to save lives or to take lives for that matter. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I thought that was, a and a million little things build up over time. And I think that's why military people bond so well is because we, we get that and civilians, they're not forced to go through it oftentimes, you know, so there, there's a, dis, a little bit of a disconnect, I think, for those who've been in the service and those who haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not a snobby thing at all. I don't, not in my mind anyway, to me, it's just a, a differentiation, you know? 
But um, the other thing you said is about, um, you know, doing scullery and stuff and being a mess cook. When I was in Key West, that was, I had to do that as well. So I was on the Aton team for a while, but then I had to go be a mess cook and I actually liked it. And I, and I turned that into my job. I ended up going into food service because of that. Um, the dude that was working in the kitchen, he was a, he was a E, I think it was an E4. And um, God, this guy had probably been in for 15 years or something. And I think he was an E5 or an E6 at some point and got himself busted down. And I mean, this was, this was, they were just starting to do drug testing. Um, and they would tell you when they were doing it. I would say, okay, we're having a, we're having a whiz quiz coming up next week on Monday. And so, you know, all the guys who smoke pot or whatever they did, okay, okay, okay. Not this weekend, man. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think he was one of those. I think he had been busted a couple of times, but I liked it. I got along with this dude. Great, man. But, um, yeah, he would oftentimes, he wouldn't show up for work and I'd be in the galley by myself. So I'd start cracking eggs and, you know, we got to cook chow for 50, 60, 80 people. Um, so I'd start prepping stuff and getting bacon ready. And next thing you know, he started teaching me how to do it all for his benefit. Of course. Right. He could just roll in late and I do his work. But, but I really liked it. And I think the thing that, that got me the most was um, everybody from the base came through the galley. So I was not mess cooking for more than two weeks, probably. And all of a sudden I knew everyone, you know, whereas when I was on the Aton team and we were kind of isolated, we did our own thing. And I didn't know any of the small boat guys, you know, I didn't know any of the administrative people or any of that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm in the galley and I, you know, I'm just naturally friendly and chatting with people. And yeah, pretty soon I'm knowing everybody. And I was like, man, that's kind of cool. So that, that attracted me and I just decided to go to cook school. Did you uh, strike SS or did you go to school? No, I went to school. So you, and that was Petaluma for you too? Petaluma, yep. Petaluma, California. But yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to Petaluma in a bit. So uh, yeah. <laughs> you both went to Petaluma. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, that, but yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's interesting. So was the galley in the same place as it was when we were uh -huh. there? Yep. Yeah. yeah, and the barracks were upstairs. Yeah. Yeah, that changed for sure. Yes. Well, they built that whole building where the barracks were when you and I were there. That was brand new. That building wasn't there when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, uh, because I know that when I was on the Harry Lane and probably when you were on the Ventress, uh, well, no, maybe not. You you were not a non-rate on the Ventress. You were, you were rated, right? On the Ventress? I was, that was right out of cook school. Yeah. So yeah. I was only an E3, but I was rated. Yeah. But a lot of times they, they, uh, they didn't, uh, 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 the, the, uh, we lived on the ship. I mean, I lived on the ship, you know, like for the, mm -hmm. for the year I was there, I didn't have, yeah. uh, have housing off the boat. Uh, so even yeah, when the ship here. was tied up, I slipped, I lived on the ship and, and they don't do that anymore. Now, uh, they, they, really? yeah, no, no. As a matter of fact, they made that change shortly after I left in 90, uh, where they pretty much said that, uh, you know, it was, for lack of a better term, inhumane to uh, make people live on. I would have agreed at the time. Yeah. yeah well, and and if anybody's listening to this thinking, man, it sounds a little bit like prison. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot like prison. It is. Yeah. So if you take, if you take a, a single mattress right now, granted this mattress is two inches thick, cheap foam, not good foam, cheap foam, right? Probably used 5,000 times before. Slap it on top of a metal box. And that metal box is probably eight inches deep. And it has a lid and you open up that lid and that storage is all you have that and one stand up small little locker. That's all the storage you have. And I yeah. lived, I lived on the ventures for man, six months, eight months, Yep, you know, something like that. And that's all the situation. all you got. No? Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you know, you got your, you're in, in, if you have a vehicle, you can get us the best vehicle ever. And, 
and the locker that, that Doug is talking about, the stand-up locker. You remember, you remember your uh, your high school locker? Yeah, about a fourth the size of your high school locker. Yeah, I could fit. I could fit probably. And of course, you have to have all your uniforms and stuff, right? All yeah. that stuff, and it has to stay nice. I mean, you can't just crumple it up. Yeah. Um, so I would say I could fit probably like with shirts and pants hung on. You could fit with like six or eight hangers in there, but that's tight. You know, when you when you get that many in there, it's tight. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. But then you had to like tie your shoes to your rack so they didn't, you know, fly around when it's, when the seas got heavy and so on. Yeah, it was just a, yeah, it was it was a great experience really in terms of like growing and stuff. It sucked at the time. There's yeah. you know I didn't yeah. Well, and and what I talked about in the last podcast about gear or drift, that shit carried over into your ship too. You weren't allowed to have yeah absolutely yeah you you know like and and most people did on a ship sleep in sleeping we slept in sleeping bags and. uh and so, you know, you'd have like a blanket and a pillow and you just sleep in a sleeping bag, you know? Yeah, so I, st- I slept in my rack. I didn't, I didn't do the sleeping bag thing. I didn't like it because I slid around. <laughs> there, was a, there was this one guy, uh, uh, his name was, uh, maybe someday he'll listen to this. His name was Funkhauer and uh, Funkhauser. He was Cajun and he was maybe uh, probably about 5'3", maybe 128 pounds wet. And he mm. had a top rack and he had a freaking thick Cajun accent. And I remember... Uh, and he had a top rack and the top rack on these boats were met, you know, like seven feet off the ground, you know? And, and so, mm-hmm. so you're thinking, well, that's pretty tall, right? No, it was like seven feet. And then the roof was like, like eight and a half feet. Right. So yeah, kind of yeah up exactly. there, like wedged in the ceiling. And, and, yeah. Yeah. When you got to boat, you, you know, if you were new, you're like, you guess what, bitch, you get the top rack. And if you're here long enough, you get a bottom rack. And if you're here longer than that, you get a middle rack. And that's the, that's the cherry that's rack. The primo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he's up in this rack, the worst rack. It's like right there by the head. And he, the guy would have night terrors, right? And, uh, and we uh, had the same thing, dude. We had a guy doing that. This guy, so I remember him, like, I remember he starts screaming and it's, he's Cajun, right? So it's kind of like, oh, God, God. And he's, it's Cajun. <laughs> and so he, he's a sleeping bag and, and everybody's got their head out of the curtain because you have curtains that, you know, uh, you know, close the, you can't see out. And so everybody's sticking their head out, all like, 18 people and all of a sudden he just rolls out and like falls the seven feet just boom and slams into the deck and everybody's looking and all of a sudden he uh he, he gets up and he goes uh i just fell out of my rack bro <laughs> <laughs> oh funkhauser and i think he was a lifer too yeah we had a guy same deal he was uh he was an, old, he was an older dude and uh same thing he had night terrors and whatever and he ended up falling out of his rack one night but he was Kicking and screaming all the way down. He was a top rack, and he he was he was bumping shit all the way down, man. Yeah, that's a good good way to get a medical board. <laughs> you know, that's a good way to get kicked out. So uh, they don't like you. They don't like people to have sleep problems. No, you know? so, not at all. So. But but so um so yeah, you know, so I I did my time, put in for A school, got orders, and like went to Petaluma. You know, so yeah. Did you do good in A school? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I wasn't number one, but. uh but I definitely was not the bottom, you know, and, and yeah, and probably because we're coming up on about an hour, probably we might, I might save a school for the next time. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I did fine. You know, uh, 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 just for, for anybody that doesn't have Google maps, uh, Petaluma is, uh, is, uh, about an hour, hour and a half North of San Francisco. Yeah. North San Fran to rock and, and, and the coast guard, uh, uh, ended up with this hunk of property, I think it used to be like a, a naval uh, listening base for submarines during mm-hmm. World War II mm-hmm. or something. 
And uh, yeah, so, you know, did got my EMT there. Uh, you know, I got some stories about Petaluma, but, uh, yeah. you know, but from there, and did you go to SA, SA, or SA school? It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a system specialist when I went through and then it changed to food service specialist. And now it's, I think, they call it something different now, like nutrition specialist or something wow. like that. I just talked to a kid the other day who's, that's what he did. So, that's fancy. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so basically I was a cook and yeah, I did. I, I went through and I was very proud because when I, I was not a good student in high school, I didn't like it at all. But, uh, once I get into the coast guard, somehow again, like you, like you mentioned, you know, I had this realization, like, this is not a game, you know what I mean? I like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually part of life now instead of just under the wing of my parents or whatever. And so I started applying myself and I, I aced every school I went to when I was in the Coast Guard. Did, also, did you uh, meet your first wife in Key West when you were at the age of navigation? Um, no. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I did. Yeah. At the Aton. When I was at the Aton, yeah. But were you married when you were at A school? Uh, no, no. I got, I got out of A school. Uh, I went, got orders to the Ventures, which is in LA. And then uh, drove back down to see my parents and then went to see her and basically eloped is <laughs> basically what we did. Yeah. So her, her parents were pissed because they were very conservative, very religious. Mm. Um, yeah. So they were not happy with either of us. <laughs> so anyway. You didn't keep her. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Just borrowed for a while. <laughs> you gave her back. Oh. Golly. Yeah, I gave her back. Jeez. I'm so <laughs> grandpa-ish. <laughs> that's a whole so, other topic so uh yeah yeah but yeah so one other thing i want to mention you talking yeah. about rough seas when i was on the boutwell it was my last tour of duty before i retired uh we circumnavigated the globe we we uh we left san francisco uh, went to hawaii uh from singapore from hawaii went to um, singapore from singapore up to the north arabian gulf uh we were there i was there in the north arabian gulf and they launched all the missiles and all that sort of stuff to get into desert storm uh, or sorry, Operation Iraqi Freedom. <laughs> and then uh, we left there, went through the Suez Canal, the Mediterranean, um, over through the, the um, Panama Canal and then up the West Coast. And um, there was a time, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where we were in all of that mess, uh, but there was a time that it was rough, man. It was really rough. And I had my own stateroom. I was a warrant officer by then. Mm-hmm. And I had my own stateroom. And uh, I went into, uh, I stopped getting seasick after a while. When I, early days, oof, man, it was rough, man. I was seasick for days at a time. Mm-hmm. But um, I was fine by now. And so I opened the wardroom, and uh, the wardroom basically took up on this ship, it took up the entire width of the ship. So the only way to go around the wardroom from the forward part of the ship was to go outside or over. You could go above decks. Um, but so I was I'm an officer, so I cruised it all the time. So anyway, it was rough as hell, man. So I go to open the door to the wardroom to God and I was getting coffee or I was going back to the mess deck or something. But as soon as I opened the door and I was about to step in, I saw we took a big roll and I saw all the furniture in the wardroom slide all the way over to one side of the of the room. And then we rolled back and all slid back the other way. I just shut the door, went back into my room. I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm not dealing with this shit, man. Dude, yeah, that was like a 1900 moment, right? Yeah, just about. It really was. No joke. And there was, there was I mean, our wardroom, we had uh, a dozen chairs at the wardroom table. Mm-hmm. And then we had, uh, we called it the kitty table. Unless we stuck all the JOs. There was six or eight chairs over there for the JOs. And all that shit was just sliding back from one side and all the way to the other side. 
Well, and, and the point that you're making also is uh, is when you're underway and you're in heavy seas, and you you will be in and none of the ships in the Coast Guard, none of them, the three seventy eights, two tens, two seventies, whatever the hell's in there right now, they're none of them are good in heavy seas. You know, they're yeah. they're, they're they all ride. Well, they're, rough, they're made to know? go fast, yeah, yeah and, instead of be stable. And also, they're they're shallow. You know, they're meant to be. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not deep keeled boats. And even then, yeah. they're, they're technically speaking, they're hell, man. You could be on a container ship. You know, the seas are rough. The ship is rough. You barely feel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you barely feel it on those big ones. Yeah, you can. And even like cruise ships, I've been on cruise ships, and and they'll avoid everything. They'll avoid all kinds of bad weather. But even those rock and roll a little bit. But. Um, but life goes on. Like the cooks still have to cook. Melanie was asking me the other day of, about eating, and she was asking about like, like frying things. I'm like, you don't fry shit. There's no deep fryers on a ship, babe. You know what I mean? There, there was when I was in. Not anymore. I don't think. We, we would. I mean, it, so we made our menus. I don't know. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but we made our menus far in advance. But if, if it was a, a heavy seas day and we had something on the menu that we couldn't cook because of the the weather, we just changed the menu. And oftentimes it was like you had to default to sandwiches, man, soup and sandwich. Yeah, that's all we can give you because we can't make anything else. Oh yeah, yeah. Getting back to the, the Harriet Lane. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we, there were definitely days when they were like, you know, like, yeah, you're eating uh, spaghettios, you know, because yeah, because that's so we, that's all we can serve you without killing anybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's some, some Edmund Fitzgerald shit, right? You know, it's like yeah, exactly. too, rough feed, too rough to feed you guys. But they they did feed you. There there was there was never a meal skipped. Yeah, you don't skip meals. Yeah, yeah, you can skip meals. But uh, uh, but the other thing was uh, was a quarter was it uh, was it quarter rats? Oh, mid rats. Mid rats. Yeah, mid rats. Uh, for for those uh, not knowing that, that's uh, they serve this uh, this meal at midnight, like right before the the mid the mid watch. The mid watch is midnight to four in the morning. And the reason they serve this meal is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because if you have the mid-watch, you don't get up for breakfast, so you still get three yeah, meals. Yeah, you sleep and, through breakfast, yeah. You yeah, get to yeah, sleep so that's kind of like your breakfast. But I was almost always like uh, the most, like, it was delicious food, but usually it was like, oh, pizza, it was like uh, pizza pops or whatever, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, and, and hot cheese, pockets or... Yeah, hot pockets, cheese yeah, sticks. Yeah. yeah, it was bachelor yeah. food, big time. Yep. You know, yeah, and, all the way. Yeah. But every, I mean, there was plenty of people that got up for mid-ranch just yes. for that. Yes. Because it was. Yeah. It was the shit people wanted to eat. It wasn't really good for you. But. No, you could you could gain a lot of weight underway. You could. You know? Oh, yeah. So lots of people did, too. Yeah. 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 Because because you could actually eat. I mean, we we would have uh, uh, cooks that would be like, uh, yeah, man, I'm not freaking feeding 100 people on mid rest. So mm-hmm. a lot of times they would be like. Uh, I'm going to feed the people going to watch and you and you guys can fight over what's left, right? Yeah, exactly. Whatever's left over, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever's left over. But almost always it was like maybe 10. And, and very rarely I wouldn't get up for mid-rats. I just want – sleep is too valuable. But occasionally you'd be, you know, coming off a watch and going on a watch. And Well, yeah. that's the other thing is that, you know, we, we talked about those – those um coffin racks and stuff my coffin rack was filled with food man goodies and stuff yeah you know and that was before the days of of ramen noodles and all that i mean right. i mean guys had cans of food <clears throat> crackers right. cigarettes i mean you get underway yep. 10 12 cartons of cigarettes stuffed in your locker you got to figure out some place to stash it well well smokes smokes were cheaper underway they didn't want tax mm-hmm. we still had guys i mean people are idiots though i mean they brought tons of cigarettes with them and i'm like that doesn't make sense you can buy a Carton of cigarettes for five dollars, and and that's not an exaggeration. It's not. I worked the ship store. Yeah, I sold them five bucks for a whole carton of cigarettes. Yep, and all you had to do was get out behind twelve miles, beyond right. twelve miles, and there's no tax because you're in international waters. Yeah. So the carton of cigarettes was usually like you know whatever it was, fourteen dollars, but there's like a hundred dollars now. You know, like it's like a hundred bucks for a carton of smoke. Yeah. 
so uh, yeah, uh, the only reason people would pack like smokes or whatever is the ship short and sell them. You could usually ask. Or like, it would run out. Yeah. Yeah. You could, well, you, well, you could say, hey, like, for example, I, I dipped. I used to dip Kodiak and, and, uh, and they didn't have Kodiak in the ship's store, but I could go to the SK and say, like, hey, would you mind getting some uh, rolls of Kodiak? And, and he would. But, you know, you would do this weird math where you say, well, I dip about a, a can every other day. Uh, we're under day, under, underway for 60 days. I'll need, th- I'll need 30 cans. And you're like, Jesus, a ton. And you would just basically buy it and, and stack it in that skinny ass locker we were talking about, you know? So, but uh, but yeah, and and like you would get it away, and almost immediately they would open the ship's door. But mm-hmm. that's it. there's one there's one phenomenon that I thought that again, this is the way my civilian brain worked. And then when I was in the military, I witnessed something, and I was like, oh, this is not the way I expected life to go. Like when I was in in 1989, 1990, uh, they came out. Of course, people smoked. That mm-hmm. we were still in this world. Where people smoked, and also I thought it was interesting. There was a, there were things on that boat that were like Vietnam era era, mm-hmm. including some of the crew. Like some of the crew had fought in Vietnam, yeah. so that yeah. was that was weird to me, right? Like my the the, the SS one had had been stationed in Vietnam, and at the time I wish I would have talked to him about it, but I, I was too young and stupid to think about that being cool. But but uh, but everybody smoked, and you were allowed to smoke in the ship, right? And mm-hmm. and the commandant came down. You could down. smoke on the mess deck. I used to yeah. I used to have guys smoking while they were eating, like yes. while they were yeah. eating. Yeah, and you'd have like take a, a bite of food, take a drag of sugar. Well, and there were like no smoking tables, but there were more smoking tables than non-smoking tables. And uh, and I and I remember they were like, uh, okay, on October twentieth, there is no more smoking inside the ship, like that. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever date was October twentieth, nineteen ninety, no more smoking in the ship. And I remember thinking that's not going to happen. You know, right. I just know, I just know that, that this is not going to happen on this ship. Right. Well, I can tell you right now, October 20th, 1990, they picked up every freaking ashtray. Nobody smoked inside the ship. Nobody bitched. It was just like, that's what we're going to do. It just changed. Yeah. It blew my mind. I was just like, yeah. everybody's just following orders. They conformed. <laughs> they conformed. I mean, and, and these are not people that you would be like, oh, this is, these are, these are not robots. These people are definitely, no. they're like, you know, and, and that's part of the military. I, I, I remember you know, again, jumping around here, like when I was uh, stationed in San Antonio as an instructor, this was right after the, the Gulf War started. And there were PAs I worked with that were like, uh, hey, I just got orders. Where to? I'm going to the Gulf where I'm going to you know, be on a, a Ford unit, you know, and seeing combat. And I was just like, wow, you seem remarkably calm about that. You seem incredibly <laughs> calm about the fact that that you're going into combat, you know, and they're like, man, and that's kind of, a, now I'm not saying that, again, I'm making a comparison between not smoking inside the skin of the ship and going to combat. Right, going to combat yeah. yeah, but I will tell you, there were definitely things we did where they were kind of like, hey, we're going to steer the ship into a hurricane. And you're kind of like, well, you know, who yeah. am I to say, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you need me to do? You know, so. One thing I remember about that, because I was I was on the ventures for that. And one thing I remember is um, after we stopped smoking inside, um, we painted the inside of the mess deck. We painted, and we just we had a paint um, on Coast Guard ships that was called Interlux White, and uh, it was white. It was bright ass white, you know. And um, so when we started painting the ceiling, it was phenomenal to me how yellow the ceiling was from all the smoke, tar, and stuff, because we just painted it the same color that it used to be, except of course. 400,000 cigarettes burned in there. You know what I mean? And sometimes it was heavy weather and you would show movies on the mess deck. 
that's it, man. Mestec is closed down tight and air, half the people smoke and it's just like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that, I bet that what used to be Interlux white was a nice kind of a dark caramel color. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. But it kind of, it, you know, it's funny because we were, we were talking in the, in the, um, in the uh, movie one we were doing about Raquel Welch, we were talking about those two generals that were drinking coffee out of that metal can and smoking. That's how it was. I mean, that's, that's legitimately back in the day. That's how it was. I mean, that was a little bit of a cartoonish stereotype of it. But I mean, I look back now and I was like, Psh. yeah, I mean, the only place that I know of for sure that you did not smoke was inside the galley. Mm-hmm. You couldn't smoke inside the galley. But you sure as hell stood in the door of the galley and smoked. <laughs> Smoke waft in there and stuff. But when did you start smoking? Uh, on the ventures when I got five dollar carton cigarettes. Well, because I figured out that shit. Guess what, man? <laughs> if you smoke, you get a smoke break. If you don't smoke, you don't get a smoke break. So okay, that's I'll the thing. Stop. That was the thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll but start smoking. Sure. Like, they're like, it's a terrible habit. It's gonna destroy my lungs. But damn, it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, we've been talking over Whatever. an hour now. Maybe we should stop there. So. All right. Yeah. There's there's, there's plenty more. Yeah, I think next time I'm going to uh, one of my one of my friends, the guy who, who uh, we've talked about before. Uh, he was actually on a black hole, and he was also a coxswain, and he's experienced things that we haven't experienced. I might invite him just to come in. And yeah, he's, sure. He, he's a good storyteller. So so maybe because we're gonna keep this going. I love. There's there's just a couple of things. I mean, uh, one last thing I'll say is that. One of the things that I found very different about the Coast Guard than the other branches of the military, you had a crap ton of collateral duties, right? I was a cook, but I did so many other things because we're, we're, we don't have somebody for all those different jobs, right? Mm-hmm. In the Army, they have 800,000 people. We had 36,000 people in the entire Coast Guard. And we were rescuing people and doing, doing SAR missions, doing environmental protection, doing boardings, doing all this stuff, right? Um, so you have to do a lot of different jobs. So... Um, the, that's where I enjoyed the Coast Guard the most is all that collateral stuff. I was a boarding officer. I was a boarding team member, not a boarding officer. I was a boarding team member. I was a coxswain on several of the ships that on, and that was freaking fun. We did that um, blockade when uh, Desert Storm kicked off. We did a blockade of L.A. Harbor. Mm-hmm. I was on an 82-footer, and we zoomed that little rubber boat all over that place, man, and that was so freaking fun. It was, yeah, and then same with a the coxswain, damage control By the way, a coxswain is a person who drives small boats. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, damage control stuff, you know, training the firefighters and all. I loved all that shit, man. Even being a cook was okay. It was fun. I, I enjoyed it, but also all that collateral stuff that I had the most fun doing. Well, sometimes again, people would ask me like, what's the difference between like the army and which by the way, everybody knows this in the army. I respect the army. So no dig, but and this is somewhat hyperbolic, but people ask me what's the difference between like the army and the coast guard and the army's got like one job, right? So like, you know, fight wars. Yeah. Right. Defend, defend the United States. Defend the United States. Right. And the Coast Guard's got, you know, like you were just saying, ace navigation, law enforcement, uh, you know, search and rescue, which are the three big big ones anyway, ice missions. And, and it goes down and down and down from there. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, you could, you know, very rarely, almost never does somebody enter in the Coast Guard and say, oh, I am. And and they always say like black hole being ace navigation, end up in a black hole fleet. And they end up doing black hole uh, for uh, for 20, 30 years. You you end up on a black hole ship, a boat buoy tender for a while. Next thing you know, you're over at a station, eight to navigate, or, or a small boat station. Then you're uh, then you're uh, doing a white hole stuff. 
uh, doing law enforcement. And you never know, you know. Yeah, you're uh, just all over the place. Yeah, all over the place. And even if uh, somebody like me is a corpsman, if I'm a corpsman on a on a on a ace navigation ship, you, just like uh, Doug is saying about him being a cook, uh, he still has to mm-hmm. drive the boats. He still has to do that shit, mm-hmm. or, or or do yeah. law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah, so I was also going to say, I know as far as two tens, I always really liked two tens. By the way, I thought they were cool looking boats. So, look cool, but gosh dang that! But the bottom, the bottom of the ship was round, and God, they rocked and rolled like yeah. shit. Man. I mean, uh, I remember no joke. I remember walking down the passageway in the middle of the ship, and we take a big roll, and so you're walking on the side of the wall. The ship is that far leaned over, and it would hang there for a second, and. And go back the other way, and then you're walking down the other side of the wall. You know. Well, I also was like when it would pitch, you know, and and uh, I hated that. Well, that I liked when you'd be on a ladder, like, you know what I mean, and you would wait for yeah. it to, to drop, and you would you'd and be you climb, climb the ladder up. You climb the ladder like Superman, you know what I mean. You actually yeah. would just like throw your arms, and you would be up the next deck. <laughs> but uh, love that shit. So <laughs> yeah, it made it made sleeping rough. So yes, yes. So all right. Well, I tell you what, we will all end right. there. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll pick this up again at some other point. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening, and uh, you have a great day. See ya. This has been an Analog Spectrum production and presentation. We appreciate you listening to our podcast. It means a lot to both me and Doug. As always, we're looking for topic suggestions, folks to interview, and friends to join us on the show. If you can help with any or all of these, go ahead and send a quick note to Analog Spectrum, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Are you curious about our past uploads? Go check out our website. You'll find the link in the description. Finally, for any cast you've enjoyed, please leave a comment and a review. For that last part, it would mean a lot to us if you'd make it five stars. Don't forget to share us with your friends and family. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy day and spending time with us. There's nothing better than hanging out with you and all our friends in this crazy analog spectrum world. Bye.